He's back. It's Adam Myros. Uh, hello, Steve. It's exciting to have you because you didn't think you're going to be on this episode, did you? No, I, I expressly stated that I, I would, in fact, be unable to do this episode. But uh, apparently, that just, just went through one ear out the other, you know. That's right. Well, I figured for this, you didn't even have to watch the movies because we're we're covering some Adam Myros classics tonight. Well, that's fair. I did watch the movies, but uh, I, I could have skipped them. I've, I've seen them plenty of times, but uh, always a pleasure to revisit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Also joining us, Jack Eason. Yes, it's good to be here. I knew I was going to be on this episode. Um, I was part of the committee right. that, that outvoted Adam and forced him to be here. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I'd do it again. Uh, you know... <laughs> It's always nice to bully Myros, you know, I, I, I think here's the guy who hasn't been bullied enough in his life and we really got to take him down a peg or two. Agreed. Well, you know, that's, it's true, you know, in the traditional sense, uh, well, not the traditional sense, in, in the modern sense, I, I would describe myself as a bully in my younger days, not, not, uh, not going around busting heads or anything, just kind of a jerk, which is, is bullying in, in the year of our Lord 2022 and uh, all the better for it. But uh in retrospect, yeah, you're kind of an advanced bully. Yeah, I kind of was. 20 years ago, you were doing like 2022 bullying. So, yeah. well, I'm sure you, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say you probably did the same, sir. Oh, yeah, <laughs> is this probably. is this what drew you to this <laughs> film about just troubled youths and crushing their hopes and dreams? Uh, I think I so. don't. I mean, you got to be when you're when you're one of these non-physical, uh, like intellectual bully sorts. You got to really. Take your shots where you can, Jack. You're not going to be bullying uh, either of these characters. The people do. That's one of the funniest things about them. <laughs> Personally, as a, as a, someone who was uh, just a, a jerk who made fun of people all the time because uh, it was a way to get uh, self-actualization in high school and some attention, uh, I'm, I'm not going to bully the guy who's like six foot four and built like a brick shit house because then uh, I'm going to get the wrong kind of attention. <laughs> that would make you smarter than at least Probably. one. Uh, did, but when you would bully people, Myros, would you say punish before you would do it or did you, did you just kind of like throw stuff out there? I mean, if I had seen this film at the time, I probably would have worked it in because it's, it's, it's a killer line. <laughs> uh, if you haven't figured it out yet, it's December. Uh, so why, why not cover the entirety of the Silent Night, Deadly Night series? And this is going to be interesting because the first two that we're going to cover today are definitely related. <laughs> Yes. More related than most sequels, you know, because it's the kind of sequel where you feel like you've seen some of this before. Uh, just a bit, yes. <laughs> and then by the time we get to parts three, four, and five, things start to, you know, maybe shift a little bit away from where Silent Night, Deadly Night started. And then beyond part five, uh, we actually run into some muddy waters and some confusion over, you know, there's a homemade part six um, there's a Malcolm McDowell pseudo remake. There's some other shit going on. So we're going to figure it out. But, uh, yeah, the original Silent Night, Deadly Night. It's weird because 
I have such an affinity for Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2 uh, that I kind of forgot that the original Silent Night, Deadly Night is such a great slasher. Yes. And, you know, it, it was made in the heyday of the slasher. Uh, it is incredibly mean-spirited <laughs> and violent, uh, yeah. more so than I expected, which is nice. And made a hell of an impact when it was released uh, in the beautiful city of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. There was actually a grassroots movement to get it banned from the cinema, uh, which is interesting. So, uh, yeah, I mean, a bunch of women stood outside of the theaters that were showing it and protested with signs. There's pictures of this. It made the news all because someone had the audacity to buy some ad time to... Uh, play the trailer during a Green Bay Packers game. Uh, so uh, smart, if you ask me, because that's all that people in Wisconsin do on Sundays. But this upset all the all the mothers because their children trying to watch. I don't even know what the fuck they were trying to watch. Who? Why would you watch the Green Bay Packers in the mid nineteen eighties? That sounds horrible. But uh, yeah, it, it pissed off the parents. There's all these protests, and as tends ha as it tends to happen. This ended up giving the film a lot more publicity, uh, made the national news. And yeah, it's it was arguable so whether successful. it was good for, was it good for business, though? Did this movie, like, piss people off to the point that it actually <laughs> did not achieve the financial success that it I, had the potential so, to? yes and no. W what happened was, in its first week, uh, you know, uh, bad press is better than no press. So, it actually did great, and I think it, it beat out nightmare on elm street in the box office in its first week but then it kind of fell off and part of the reason why it fell off is because there was external pressure on these theaters to pull it even though they were contractually obligated to run it for at least one week so what happened was in the milwaukee area and other areas where there were actual like physical protesters outside after a week a lot of theaters ended up pulling it so it dropped a little bit that being said uh it, it's a shame because, boy, uh, people really missed out on a, on a gem of a film here. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Like the, the original Silent Night, Deadly Night is just it's a million times better than you think it is if you've only seen part two. And if you haven't watched it a long time, it's definitely a hell of a lot better than you remember it. But I mean, this is like I wouldn't call it Mount Rushmore slasher material, but it's definitely top tier upper echelon slasher. I mean, it depends on your tastes in such things. Uh, I, I think it could be considered sort of a Mount Rushmore if you're just, if your affinity is for dumb fuck slashers. Like, I think what this most reminds me of is uh, Blood Rage, which we covered, I think, two years ago for Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. uh, another movie that really has no business being as, as entertaining as it is. But um, yeah, this is... If your favorite Friday the 13th is is part four, uh, this is going to be your jam because this is a, it, it's just that variety of, of really fucking dumb, just saturated in gore uh, slasher. You know, there's nothing going on under the surface of, of this. You know, it's like, well, let's make a killer Santa movie. And how will we explain this? Well, let me tell you, this movie does not lack for explanation as to the motives of the killer Santa. It's, it's got like uh, 75 origins stacked back to back of incidents <laughs> that created this murderous Santa Claus. It's good. 
Yeah. You know what? Why have one origin for your murderous tendencies when you can fill your whole origin story bingo card with horrific shit? Uh, dad was murdered. Mom was raped. Grandpa's weird. Uh, there's tons of shit here. Uh, you're in an orphanage and Mother Superior's a dickhead. You watch the people fuck and it fucks you up. I, it all happens. And the first 30 minutes of this is just like one traumatic childhood event after another. It's lovely. Yeah, and even pa- when we get past childhood, like the things that lead him to snap in, in modern times are equally amazing and layered because it's like, oh, well, even though the orphanage knows that he's like triggered by Christmas, we're going to we're gonna go ahead and place him in this job at a toy store uh, during Christmas time. And, <laughs> and we're not going to warn anyone. So what, what finally sets him off is that his boss decides that uh, – because their their store Santa Claus has endured a uh, ice skating accident that suddenly now this uh, this thin burly eighteen uh, year old will now be the store's new Santa Claus. So they throw him in the suit, and that's really when shit uh, it really breaks loose. You know, he can't handle that. Well, yeah, mm. I, I think I think it's like no. th- there's a great element to this of uh, both these brothers as well. We'll travel, we'll we'll explore both of their uh, their their lives through these two movies. Have this incredible uh, ability to just uh, see things they're not meant to see, and everyone around them is terrible. <laughs> and they, yeah, so they uh, witness a lot of rape. They do. A they lot witness a surprising amount of that just happening out in public. Mostly uh, the two people in the uh, in the orphanage who are having sex. I don't even know who they are. I was like, was one of them a nun? Not clear entirely. Are they orphans? I don't, they seem a little bigger than everyone else there, but oh, yeah, a little, yeah. who knows? I you know, I don't know. Film certainly not telling me. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think, mm-hmm. yeah, it, the, for a good slasher, you just need kind of a hook. And this has two like it's got the very obvious hook. That it's it's killer Santa, right? And it's seasonal. That's that's a really obvious thing to hang your film off of and piss people off and get people to look at it just for fun. And then on top of that, it has because it's just a constant barrage of this one kid seeing stuff. It kind of like it's almost like a Dario Argento, like deep red kind of like origin thing of just like it's so flagrantly Freudian it's kind of like it almost develops a a kind of depth just through just through (laughs) sheer force of of repetition and just this child's innocent face and just being intercut with something horrible happening somewhere it's it it works really well I mean the movie just it it's kind of cool on on top of that you know kind of like the 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 crux of Christmas which is where everyone agrees they're just gonna lie to children uh, to tell, like, make up some absolute nonsense, um, and they won't mind because they get presents from it. But you know, the some would say mm. Hegel would say that that's that's wrong. You know, Kant certainly would would say that's that's not appropriate. <laughs> You're not supposed to lie to children like that. Christmas should be outlawed. I'm pretty sure you probably wrote that down somewhere. Mm-hmm. So you know, it, it's it's got some good yeah. hooks in it, and then after that, it's a really just satisfying grisly slasher movie. It is. I mean, you talk about like gratuitous shit in a movie. It, not only is this checking off all the, the trope boxes, you know, oh, teens having sex now they need to die. But like the amount of of nudity in this movie, um, the amount of really grisly kills, you know, uh, people getting stabbed through the gut. Uh, a woman, an, a topless woman is impaled on top of a uh, like a taxidermy deer head on the wall. That fucking rocks. 
Uh, <laughs> it, it's it's intense. It's a key a key <laughs> Linnea Quigley performance there. It just shows up instantly naked and then just gets murdered in a bizarre way. And then and I'm not even sure her name is mentioned. Uh, <laughs> no, not at all. She's just getting, babysitter. Uh, just getting, <laughs> yeah, babysitter getting banged on a on a pool table. Uh, also, my God, uh, if you had the chance to watch the uh, the HD version of this from a couple of years ago, I know uh, Scream Factory, I think, put out the Blu-ray, but it looks good as shit. Although I don't know how kind it is to poor Robert Brian Wilson, who has an exceptionally hairy ass crack that we are oh, treated yes. to. I, I could not like I was that was probably the most shocking thing to me in a movie with like, you know, multiple sexual assaults and grisly murders. I was like, damn, dude, you got a, a real fuzzy butt. <laughs> uh, but his his performance is is solid. Robert Brian Wilson, which aside from having a wonderful name, not an actor. He was just like hanging out somewhere and an agent saw him. and was just like, hey, you're a handsome, large boy. Why don't we put you in the movies? And I guess when he went to do his um, his tryout for this part, everybody else that was reading for it, they were doing, you know, more of uh, an over the top psycho uh, type of thing. Whereas because he didn't have any experience as an actor, he just sort of played it a little bit dry and deadpan. And it translates really well because we I mean, we get the off the rails psychosis in the sequel for sure. But. It's yeah, fun. You're going to tell me that guy wasn't Robert an actor, too? Is that what you're going to tell me next? Eric Freeman, <laughs> yeah. not an actor. <laughs> Eric Freeman, not an actor, but he kind of takes it in a different direction. I will uh, say but so. Yeah, I, I think Robert Brian Wilson is great in this. Like, he's he's not like a faceless, voiceless killer, but he still has that kind of like dead eyed stare that, that makes him really believe. Uh, yeah, I mean, so, he's very much he's very uh, much yeah. the vulnerable child throughout the whole thing who's just never quite gotten over it. I mean, I think it's really funny for, for all the stuff that's in this movie that like, I mean, you watch it and like the first experience is they go to the incredibly generic Utah mental health clinic or whatever it's called, like just incredibly generic, like there's one in the state and and meets his granddad who's totally catatonic, but then just snaps out of it when he's alone with a kid to just fill his head full of being scared of Christmas. And then you wonder, was that like maybe the kid is already messed up? Like maybe all the other stuff was just doesn't even matter. Like maybe this kid was crazy from the get go. Maybe his granddad never said anything to him, you know, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't change anything within the film. But like there's just there's there's just a weird untethered balance to it. I mean, his parents must have been killed. That that probably did happen. Um, but, you know, you're never quite sure where the seed was planted along the way. And he plays it through. Yeah. As as, as an adult, as being kind of like. He he just kind of like it's just too much, and he's got he's got to strike back. But he's still he's just a kid in a Santa costume who doesn't know what he's doing. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's kind of you know it's not like exactly a tragic figure, but yeah, he kind of he works pretty well in in the role. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I oh. I mean there are and, moments oh, like when ahead. he's when he's not playing completely nuts though, and even like he has this thing where he's like shaking when he encounters stuff it, yeah it is it is really effective it's a surprisingly sympathetic performance and character and uh yeah i i don't know there are moments even when we get into this sequence toward the end where it's it's basically just him kind of like plowing into various rooms and stabbing people but there's this sequence in the middle of that where this, he gifts a child a, a carpenter's knife yes it's, it, it's, oh, yeah, it's, it's like a bloody it's box cutter 
That really, that that's really good. is it's a great scene. He loves the children. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Re- and I mean it's funny and, and it's also kind of like heartbreaking. It's like he's he's now Santa interacting with the child, but he's sowing the next generation of of bad vibes, which will be fully capitulated when he gets murdered <laughs> in front of his brother. Well, and you know, to be fair, uh, he only kills people who are naughty. And he's just punishing them, and they deserve to be punished. She tells us this. It is. It is really because, funny that uh, before, <laughs> it is really funny that little girl. If she had like cracked, if she was a little more honest with herself and had said that she actually hadn't mm-hmm. been only good all year, there's a good chance he would have just slashed her. But since she <laughs> yeah. said she was good yeah. all year and wasn't naughty at all, he's like, okay, here's mm-hmm. a box cutter. Go on your way. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure what the uh, the the toy store proprietor and his uh, secretary or whatever did exactly. I, I'm not sure what their naughtiness was. Just the you know, that. landlord business owner kind of stuff. He's maybe a Marxist underneath yeah, it all. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, yeah. In reality, those are probably mm-hmm. the naughtiest characters in the film. But there's nothing really conveyed <laughs> on screen. We'll see. <laughs> no, I I think he's he's drinking fucking J and B straight out of the bottle, right, which That's makes disgusting. it a jalo officially for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's got the yeah. J and B. That's like, is that what people did in the eighties? Because that's what they drink in the thing too. Is that you just sit around drinking disgusting blended scotch? J and B is is horrible. the official the official um, uh, whiskey of of genre cinema at this point, and I think that's beautiful. <laughs> and I will say, just earlier today, uh, I was looking through eBay listings of J and B paraphernalia based on a recent rewatch of this. You can get little jugs and shit, and um, it's tempting. <laughs> who do, who wouldn't want this great party piece i yeah can't imagine can't Im- have you drank jay and b yeah before? it's not good it's, it's not profile? a very good whiskey no. at all tastes like fucking smoked dicks it's horrible <laughs> uh, no good. yeah don't no drink good. cheap scotch it's always the worst possible idea uh, exactly like i feel like in the world of liquor you know there's always something for less than 20 dollars where you're like you know what not bad. Not bad at all. Not in the world of scotch, though. Fuck that. There's literally n- nothing Not, not good scotch, in that no. Whiskey, sure. Scotch is kind of, yeah, you can't really mess around too much with that. Uh, just, there's a lot of fun uh, lifestyle things. Because one of the things that I wrote down and noted, which I think is fascinating, is in the, the house with the babysitter who's impaled and so on, there are multiple tiger paintings. And so much wood finishing, mm-hmm. and I just think it's a. I I just want to know more about this place because it looks like someone's home. Oh, it's such a good house! Oh, it's incredible. It's one of those like weird tri level like a bizarro built in the seventies houses with all the wood panel walls and the tiger shit. It just looks like a seventies fuck den. I love 100%. it. hundred percent. And I'm wondering like, is it, was it, is this the director's home we're seeing? I don't know. They must've changed out the front door because the front door is made of like balsa wood when he hacks through it. It's uh, not very convincing. hundred oh, percent. Dude. I, I guarantee that that house belonged to either the director or a producer or someone like that. Like, if if you were to slap that shag carpet, a fucking poof of cocaine would come out of it. <laughs> Beautiful home. We we can only Absolutely imagine. It's it. and it's incredible. What I love about this scene is that like it builds up this like great you know kind of uh, origin for the character, and he's in the orphanage, and is this this 
strict Catholic mother superior is kind of like through through her kindness is probably doing more harm than good. Although we don't know if he could ever be redeemed, basically. And uh, the problem with all of this is that they, mm -hmm. they really kind of run out of characters because a slasher just needs a steady stream of people to murder. And they don't really have they have his co-workers and then they kind of run out of characters for a little while. <laughs> so they just invent new scenes. I love yeah. this. So we, we the establishing shot for this house is there's some carolers. And then kind of the camera just moves over the carolers and just zooms in on this like front door of a house and then just cuts to the babysitter and her boyfriend getting getting ready to have sex in the house. No introduction who these people are, how this house relates, how our hero even finds it. There's absolutely no connecting tissue matter. at all. Just yeah. two more bodies to no. be murdered. And then we cut to a scene of two adult men being bullied by two other adult <laughs> men for sledding <laughs> and then and then that ends up that's two more people the bullies he he murders because they are obviously bullying people and stealing their sleds is naughty everybody knows that but this is one of mm -hmm. this wonderful midsection yep. of the film where they're just kind of like we just need more warm bodies in here so let's uh, just make up some stuff you see, this is this is a distinction of the too. bullying hierarchy because really those two <laughs> friends who are sledding, the one friend is bullying the other in much the sense that mm. I was a bully in high school. Uh, whereas these two then grown adults come in and physically bully these two uh, useless no goodniks who are sledding. And uh, yeah, so the, there's a hierarchy, all of these things, you know, my sins aren't that great. Mm -hmm. they're, 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 these people are friends, supposedly in the in the lingo of the 80s, you know, but uh, I, well, yeah, I, I don't know, though, the way that, that they determine nice and naughty in this movie is basically everyone's naughty, you know, yes. all have fallen short of the glory of santa claus so you're fucking getting your head lopped off as you sled down a hill uh, which oh, is I, wonderful I, I, great I deserve it you know right yeah, i mean i would deserve it great I think. kill who am i but, yeah. but a naughty boy uh yes <laughs> it's it is there's this movie is chock full of great kills but one thing i i definitely want to touch on is Jack mentioned these carolers, and that that plays into one of my favorite aspects that is needlessly uh, elaborate in this film is that I, I'm going to assume they just couldn't license any any shit because of the controversy. <laughs> and they, there's like a whole fucking score of like fake Christmas music in this movie that is incredible. Oh, my God. They all, all like the original soundtrack is fucking nuts. There's that weird ass like Michael McDonald sounding song. Just yeah, the like, warm side of the door. It's always Christmas <laughs> on the warm side of the door. And it just plays over a montage of Billy fucking like working at the toy store. <laughs> it goes it's on so forever. Great. Yeah, and yeah, it's it the same. Like it it's the same for artist, like a too. Cookie like, commercial. Yeah, like uh, Morgan Ames is a. Uh, she, uh, she wrote all of these songs. It's just like. Yeah, I don't know. It's an incredible thing to just be in this movie that feels like it should be made for like ten thousand dollars to have gone to the trouble of to being be like, fair we're we're in the era i mean early 80s we're in the era still where porn movies had like their own songs like with lyrics they had theme tunes you know this was the glory days of american cinema and yeah it's it's a really great touch mm. and they close out with that really creepy song about santa watching and waiting um or whatever which is cool you know yeah, I love that yeah. song, and it plays throughout the film. Uh, the end credits, what is some sort of, like, samba remix or something that's just goddamn ridiculous. Uh, yeah, it, it's just, it's incredible. This movie is, 
I don't know. I love it so much because it feels like a real labor of love on something that is made and marketed as a total like cash grab. Yeah. Like it is, it's ruthless in the way that it was presented. And, but the people behind the camera, everything about it, there's not anything about this movie that I'm like, wow, geez, they cut corners here. Like, what a fucking cheap piece of shit it is at this moment. Um, like, all the casting is spot on. There's not really any horrible mm-hmm. dragging performances. It, 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 the script is what it is, but it's also needlessly like realized. I don't know. There's something about this movie that uh, really impresses the hell. Yeah, no, it's it's a lot better than I remember it being, and I think part of that is because you, you tend to remember the gimmick, the the Christmas gimmick. But like like you say, there's a really just solid frame on this, and you know, and even when it gets a little bit like goofy, mm-hmm. like the midsection where it just kind of comes untethered and it's a couple, just a couple of bonus murders or whatever, it's still kind of buoyed along. Like it never it never really gets bogged down in anything. It certainly doesn't get bogged down in trying to explain the killer or anything, you know, or or doing any like profiling it just kind of bounces along gets a couple of great kills i mean everything about it is is pretty solid and then also i think it's just really funny because um like it's almost like a callback to halloween then when you have like this nun who rides along with the cops and she's just pretty much like becomes like the donald pleasance character she's just in Mm -hmm. with the cops and it's like he's gonna Mm -hmm. kill again we've gotta find him but she's supposed to be i think a little more sympathetic than donald pleasance in halloween but and she doesn't pack heat herself (laughs) which is a shame and isn't even realized in the, in subsequent films uh, that I can recall. So I don't even know. There's nuns in the in the last three. So um, oh well, maybe there's time. We should uh, make another Silent Night, Deadly Night. <laughs> yeah, why not? Uh, <laughs> so this is interesting too because, like you said, Byros, this is not a a movie where where it looks like they cut corners. This isn't like a typical cheap direct-to-video type 80 slasher this it looks like it has a budget behind it whether or not it did i guess is one thing but it does it at no point does it look cheap now it was also reasonably financially successful and there was the momentum from the controversy enough to get a sequel greenlit and you would think a movie that, you know, had this kind of notoriety and uh, was successful enough would get some sort of a legitimate direct sequel. They even set it up. I mean, we've got the brother. He's right there. It's like a clear one-to-one or you just continue on. Somehow he survives the end when he gets, you know, shot uh, trying to hack off Mother Superior's head. But no. Uh, <laughs> somehow when, when they, uh, decided to do a sequel, they were like, okay, well, we shot a lot of extra footage for this lovely little movie that we put out. I want you to just take the extra footage that we shot and whatever shit we already used and just make another movie out of it. Just do some Roger Corman shit. And they had like a whole treatment and a story and a script set up for an actual sequel and the producers were pushing to just do a hatchet job. So what we ended up getting was 50-50. You get 50% of a new movie and then 50% of a recap. So for the first 30 to 40 minutes, you're basically getting a Cliffsnose version of Silent Night, Deadly Night 1 <laughs> with a deranged narration from the younger brother from 
the original Silent Night, Deadly Night, which also totally kicks ass because he is like a literal fucking infant, like fresh ass baby. And he's like, I remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> Recounting. It's incredible. It. He grew up in an orphanage and he has and no he, memories of his own. Just whatever his brother told him. Exactly. Exactly. But I mean, that's the setup that we get. It's like someone has gone to, uh, you know, this mental institution, prison, whatever, to uh, interview uh, this this killer, this murderer, uh, who we find out is Billy from the first movie. It's his younger brother. And that's how they pretty much frame everything. And, and the entire, I mean, first, or I guess it'd be two thirds of the movie is just these, you know, four walls, a guy interviewing uh, our killer and then him recounting scenes from the first movie. And it's, I, I don't know. I mean, can I love a movie because of its audacity? <laughs> it's just like, how fucking dare you? This is it's amazing. Like, how audacious is this movie? I'll tell you, the the flashbacks are somehow not the most egregious reuse of footage from the first film. It, it, the, oh, no. the thing that really got me this time around was when they go to the movie theater and it's just like, well, we're going to watch this movie about killers. <laughs> and it's just like replaying the fucking first movie again on the big screen that they're watching. I'm like, Jesus Christ. This That's movie. wonderful. And then he's triggered by the movie yes. to, to, like, kill someone, too, which rocks. Yeah, well, he's supposed <laughs> it's like his own memories. That must have been a massive psychic break. This is like, you know, it, this reminds me of a case study I remember from college in a psychiatry or psychology uh, book that we had about a guy who, who had paranoid schizophrenia. And he imagined that everyone... Uh, that that there were like I think it was the IRA where we're collecting money and they were filming his every move and making movies that they were releasing in the United States that were extremely profitable or no the, the movies are profitable and then the money from the the profits from the movies were being sent to the IRA to fund terrorism and he was like this guy was really torn up that his life was being stolen to fund terrorism and I I can only imagine this movie is essentially the same the same kind of process of a man just sitting there with his girlfriend in frankly the worst movie theater experience imaginable between hecklers and everyone just talking uh, and then he sees his own brother his own memories projected up on the screen it's it's a, a strange you could definitely write a thesis on that if if you wanted to probably not worth it though because it is just silent night deadly night 2 um which is not not a film that's particularly good to go too deep on but also is much better than i remember it being once it kind of gets over like the the first half of just recapping the the first movie is kind of like it's easier if you don't watch them back to back, which is what I just did, which was a mistake. Mm -hmm. And was, I think probably kind of close enough to what I did the last time I watched them too. So maybe I just need to stop doing that. But like Eric Freeman's performance obviously is iconic thanks to the garbage day meme. Um, I like the story that circulates about this. I don't know if it's 100% true, but they, the producers did say that the uh, lead role came down to two actors. Uh, and they said one could act and the other guy looked right for the part. And they absolutely, <laughs> Eric Freeman is the man who looked right for the part. He's just another very large man, uh, just like his brother would have been back in the day. And they must have had a hell of a gym in the orphanage because mm -hmm. they're churning out some big ass guys. But um, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know, so so I think and, and it's really fun. I mean, he's his interactions with the psychiatrist are very funny because he's just and, and also apparently and I, I have more sympathy for him now because I was reading that he 
Freeman has says that he was given um, paradoxical advice between the writer or maybe the producer and the director because the director wanted him to play it kind of cold and steely and reserved, more like his brother in the first movie. And then the producer wanted it to be like jokey Freddy Krueger, which are completely incompatible <laughs> ways of playing a villain. And I think the results are up there on the screen. There is something fundamentally incompatible going on in that man's face every time he, yes. a, he <laughs> says a line. And it's, it's amazing. It's, it's very funny. Um, and it works. And then like, what's funny is, is, if they didn't have enough money to make a whole movie somehow, and yet they have a split diopter shot, they have an insanely dangerous car stunt, like like one of those ones you're looking oh at boy, going like, yeah. the fuck did they do that? And, I, and check the, the credits. It's done by Spiros Rizados, who's now like a top Hollywood stunt guy. He did like, you know, the Marvel movies and shit. But he also like this is a guy who gone to Maniac Cop 2, which is like one of the great American stupidly dangerous stunt movies like you're just looking at it going like they just wanted to die mm. when they made this Silent Night Deadly Night 2 has a stunt that's pretty much like if anything went wrong someone was just gonna get straight fucking run over by a car and that was it and they did it um how, how did they get funds for this and not to just make a whole normal horror sequel absolutely baffling series yeah, of events I don't know if you know, maybe this is the economics of film in the 1980s. I'm not sure. But I, I feel like at some point it was cheaper to like flip and blow up a car than it was to like shoot an extra couple days worth of footage. So uh, <laughs> maybe so. That, that seems to be the case. They're like, you know, we've got X amount of days to shoot this. Um, half of them are going to be on a sound stage in this one little room. And then the rest, we're just going to walk down the street and blow the, a fucking car up. I mean, it yeah, is. Sure, it does not? certainly seem sure. like someone like Rosatos may just have been like, I'll just do this for fun because it looks cool. You know, it's like resume building. I don't know. Mm -hmm. He like you don't go into stunt work because you're like, you know, chill. That's not really, you know, <laughs> probably not what was driving a lot of no, stuff. Man Maniac not. Cop 2 is not the product of a chill, sensible person doing rational shit. It's absolutely deranged. <laughs> so, yeah, may maybe that's it. But it's it's kind of like Sunlight Deadly 2 is pretty damn good once it stops endlessly repeating the first movie, which is really funny because the first movie also mm -hmm. has tons of flashbacks in it, which are repeated in this whenever our the, the killer from the first movie like thinks back to what's, you know, they're constantly like, remember when this happened? That's why he's killing people now. And it's like, we do remember because it literally happened like five minutes ago. So they have these intercut <laughs> flashbacks in the first one. And then the second one is his brother recounting his brother having a flashback. <laughs> it's an insane setup. And it's a little, a little much at times. It's a Matrix yeah, shit. You're right. Well, this movie is like deranged. I, I don't understand its existence. And also, like, if we're talking about the craft of the first movie, this movie is anti-craft. Like... There's so much stuff in it that just makes no sense to fuck up. Like, that's the problem with watching them back to back is it's like all the narration just like changes characters from the first movie for no reason. Where it's just like, I don't know. It's stupid shit. Like the priest that gets killed because he's dressed as Santa and the police kill him accidentally. They just like change it to a janitor so he's, still, he's a deaf janitor like, now rather than a deaf priest i thought it was really funny in the first one they got a mm. deaf guy to play santa because wouldn't that be a nightmare for the night with all the kids on his lap telling him what they want like why would 
just get a Santa who can hear. That's not going to work. But anyhow, yeah, he becomes a janitor. Yeah, it, it's just, there's just all these weird fuck ups. And then there's, uh, there's stuff like, uh, I don't know, like the sex scene that he witnesses in the flashback. That's a totally different scene from the first. I don't know if they just like had a, a time stamp on the rights for the nudity for the actress or something that expires <laughs> and uh, reshoot it. It was it's just there's so many baffling fucking things in this. Also, like Mother Superior at the end. I'm like. Oh, is there like a real missing here? Like they said she face. has a stroke and then all of a sudden her face is she had like a chemical I was stroke. The same thing. Do they know what a stroke does? <laughs> was someone just like, oh, what happens when you have a stroke? And somebody else is just like, I don't know, like fucks up your face. The stroke, Not like that. The stroke was, was the, the curve of someone's arm as they threw acid in her face. Yeah, it's it's just her face is chemical burned. I don't know. It's It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, she fucking stroked herself into an open flame. Like, <laughs> That's unbelievable. I yeah, very confusing. But again, it's it's just great because it, I, I mean, it's completely in line with the lunacy of this movie. And yeah, like you said, Jack, it's like I don't know. Watching this back to back with the first one is a horrific mistake. But yeah, it just makes me wish that they would have shot an actual, you know, honest to god sequel because the first thirty to forty minutes of this, forty minutes, I guess it would be. Yeah, it's whatever like i was just like all right let's fucking get on with it but then the last 30 to 40 minutes holy shit it's just incredible <laughs> wild the moment stuff. it stops being a recap you're just like this is the best thing i've ever fucking seen i mean it's still awful they they break like the the 180 degree line like constantly throughout this movie it, the, like, yeah, so does wong kor Wai. you don't get on him about it <laughs> it's just like very disorienting at times uh, that uh, yeah. the scene where he kills the bed with an umbrella really sticks out i'm like why the fuck is anyone standing it's like <laughs> why is that scene there i don't like i mean it's a fun kill it, it's i guess it's their callback to like the inserted extra people to die in amusing fashion the first one but yeah it's like he's just again he just wanders in on a man physically assaulting another man like these two kids all they do is just exist in the world and witness crimes it's remarkable oh, mm -hmm. that was the one scene we did not mention that is totally out of place in the first film where the cops just like bust into that family's oh, house yes. <laughs> it has no place in the film at all cops just show up in this family's house and where the dad is sneaking into his daughter's bedroom dressed as santa uh it has nothing to do with anything it's just kind of there and for whatever reason this completely superfluous scene that sticks out even in the first movie is also in the flashbacks <laughs> in the second movie part of the dna of his it, memory it, 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 <laughs> Yeah, it involves none of the characters. <laughs> There's literally no way that anyone could know this information. Yeah, no, it's it's a great, great no, scene. It's because he saw the movie about it. <laughs> yeah, so... In the movie theater. Even the back half, it is... It's a bad movie, but it's the best bad movie because, Jesus Christ, they, they're doing some fun camera shit. There's some fun stunts. I don't know if Garbage Day is scripted or what, but that entire sequence, I, I people just know it as like a 10 second clip. Uh, it should be at least like a three minute clip because there's a whole fucking sequence mm -hmm. in this suburb that is just superlative. And Freeman's performance is just jaw droppingly weird it's, just, it's impossible to look away from it is an incredible series of events because because yeah. it opens with like we mentioned about you know you wouldn't you wouldn't bully a six foot four like 
hunk of meat, right? You wouldn't do that because that he, no. he would hurt you. No. Well, that's that's not what chip, especially when his face is like twitching off right. his skull. Yeah, right. <laughs> like if you meet if you see a very burly, angry looking man, why would you poke a bear? Unless you're also a very large, angry man. I guess that's that could be your thing. Chip isn't. Chip is just the ex boyfriend of of uh, of this angry man's now girlfriend who just decides to repeatedly goad him and then he murders him because that's something that happens when the guy's twitching violently with a car battery with a, car battery, with a lot of juice in it I gotta say and then but it's like that weird unbalancing because then the girlfriend is next to her who's um who's Elizabeth Catan who I just want to shout out Vinegar Syndrome released Necromancer and she's in that and she's a lead actress and it's a absolutely goofy great movie highly recommended but anyhow uh, she, she's on the scene sees him murder her ex-boyfriend and it's kind of like oh no you you can't do that that's bad and he's like, I guess, you know, a little bit upset that she's upset that he just murdered someone. So he grabs the car aerial and there's this great cut where she just goes like, oh, no, and starts running away from him <laughs> before he chokes her out in it, like it's pure comedy. And then after that, fucking Barney Fife, the policeman rolls up like I, I don't understand where this guy came from like just this police caricature this weedy dude just rolls up with his gun and then walks right up to him so that he can get attacked and then yeah once he has the gun he just starts laughing like chuckling to himself and going around just shooting everyone uh, and no yeah, one leaves. Guy just leaves mm -hmm. his house that's almost as good as garbage day like the guy in like a fucking buffalo bills shirt or whatever is just like hey yeah you know when you hear <laughs> gunshots him on the porch he's like eat shit <laughs> hear gunshots you just go out outside to see what's going on like normal human stuff that everyone can relate exactly to. just run out to the street <laughs> yeah the, those lines like the oh no uh, obviously the garbage day but i, I think his last line <laughs> in the movie is boo <laughs> <laughs> also worth noting none of this well, is at his, christmas uh, either like it completely untethered no. from christmas at at some point well, it, maybe it is, I guess, because well, there's he, a, uh, this scene he gets is, the Santa suit from the, oh yeah, yeah, just the end, I guess. Just the end Christmas. is, you can see visible in the, under the California sun, there's some like lights strung on one of the houses in the background, but like there's not much Christmas, but like the majority of the film, even when he's recounting, there's no Christmas relation to it. There's no, not even a Christmas trigger of the, I guess, the movie that he watches um no it's, it's more of a nun trigger for him I yeah guess. yeah pretty much it's, it's not really it's kind of um i would say it betrays the concept except that i've seen silent night deadly night three through five which are utterly untethered from christmas as i recall and involve like insect cults and shit so um yeah but anyhow kind, kind of a choice there mm -hmm. oh for sure <laughs> I, it, but i mean god I, I'm even like the thing that I noticed the most in this viewing one, like you mentioned, it's totally untethered from Christmas for like 98% of the movie. Uh, but two, the parts where they're not doing flashbacks, like the actual, like it, uh, original scenes that are, are inside of the mental institution, the, the fucking line delivery is something <laughs> special. Like the doctor, what he's like, Hello, Ricky. I'm your therapist. 
And then he just goes, fuck off, Doc. Because <laughs> that's like the first fucking line of the movie. He's 100% like energy. Like he's he is the polar opposite mm. of the performance of the first movie. 100% like just completely the other direction. Yeah. And the eyebrow is just twitching the whole time. Well, it's, it's great, too, because the way that the movie starts, you know, it's got this, like, intense sequence where, like, the guard comes in and stares him down. And you're like, oh, man, this is this is really fucking serious. And then, you know, fuck off, Doc. Just, <laughs> no, come on. Beautiful. It's just I mean, this, this thing. It, like this, the uh, wonderful contrast, the strength of this movie, I think, above all else, aside from it's like ridiculous kind of construction, it's like haphazard, sticky taped together construction, is that it seems genuinely unsure how much of a comedy it is. And I think that really ends up kind of working because mm -hmm. if it doesn't know, you don't know. So it kind of makes every scene a kind of like roll of the dice, which is very exciting. Um, it's It really like for me, the only thing that's a downside in this is that like the back half with the new footage is so entertaining. I just really wish we didn't have to rely on recapping the, the first movie you know, for the front half. Like it should be. I, we need more. I want more mm. of Eric Freeman taken on the world that's that's my dream yeah there should be a well, fan edit that just like tax it on to the back end of <laughs> silent night 100%, 100%. another wild uh, story plot in this as well that i i'd completely forgotten about is that uh, he is adopted by a jewish family for a while and, uh, and that's like seems like a thing like <laughs> get him away from christmas but it doesn't work and it's just such an odd connecting thing um, it's like more missing real shit of that too, because it's just like, and then they died. <laughs> the, it's very quick. But they do like a little spoof, like home movie sequence, which honestly might be actual home movies. I don't know. It looks, it looks pretty authentic, um, like shot on Super Eight or whatever. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I don't know where they got the footage, and then it just goes into. The, I think from there to his, he, he sees some nuns on the street and he's scared of nuns from the orphanage, which is probably one of the more realistic elements of the film. And then he just goes and witnesses yet another rape in a field because <laughs> that's just what happens in fields. One thing I will point out there, though, that I thought was interesting is I don't see a lot of uh, Tecate beer in in films. And that's that's the beer here. I thought that was a nice little touch. I, you know could do a little bit more of our you know our, our easy drinking mexican cerveza representation so it's kind of nice um <laughs> yep <laughs> what the hell is that scene for don't Great really film. know and it's weird because it's just like it's like it's not even a full rape scene it's like he sexually this guy just sexually assaults his girlfriend and then she knees him in the nuts and he's like ah oh, fuck this you know and he just kind of goes and then he just gets run over by a 15 year old ricky who just uh or whatever his actual name is, I don't know, uh, and just and that's that's it, you know. Again, it's I guess that's his. Is that his first kill? Uh, probably is his first kill, and then he kills. Yeah, the, that is his. Then first he kills kill, the yes. man in the alley with an umbrella for some reason. Don't know what that whole mm -hmm. scene is about. And then you know, from there, the taste for blood develops, and uh, I do really enjoy what probably my favorite character in all of Silent Night Deadly Night Two. If I had to pick one, is in the theater scene which is a really funny scene just in the fact that they sit down and these are guys heckling the screen 
you know, and in the movie and, and like the girlfriend seems really, you know, like, oh, God, these guys are going to ruin the movie. And then the movie starts. So the girlfriend just starts talking to her boyfriend in the movie to make any goddamn <laughs> sense at all. And then at a certain point, Rick just leaves to a presumably murder, maybe the, the, the hecklers like we don't know. And then the, the mm-hmm. her ex-boyfriend shows up to talk to her for an extended period. It's like the worst movie theater uh, experience. But throughout all this, what I do love is that the heckler the primary movie heckler has this friend who's just sitting next to him who looks so fed up with his shit it's like an incredibly like a <laughs> snapshot we've all seen that like duo where there's one guy who's like trying to cause a ruckus and trying to like you know get noticed and everything and his friend is just like oh god this guy but he's he's there with them they got some <laughs> kind of a social contract it's uh but yeah i i don't mm. know what he did to that guy because he like he goes in and like I, there's like footage of him like dragging him down under the seat and then he just comes back and we don't know and the film still plays and there's another guy sitting in between him who's still in the shot no idea. Did he murder someone in the open in, in a movie theater? No idea. Uh, well, it is a Silent Night, yeah, Deadly it's, Night movie, so you would think they would show that if it you did would actually think, happen. You don't know what's happening. It's very confusing. Maybe they just ran out of time. So he just, he just committed a barbaric act of violence, but did not murder him? I mean, that would be the other... It's funny, like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the guy is, like, on the floor with his feet up in the air, so... <laughs> I, Who knows? Who's to say? Oh, my God. Well, you know, it, it would have been, at least for me, the dream to have Robert Brian Wilson and, and Eric Freeman side by side in the Silent Night, Deadly Night sequel, or maybe even in, in a third movie, a hypothetical third movie, uh, working together to do fun Santa murders. Uh, but we never got that, which is a shame. Uh, but before we close the door on this episode, Jack, you did a little extracurricular work and someone was kind enough to bring Eric Freeman yes, and Robert yes, Brian Wilson together. And uh, that is uh, one of the greatest directors of all time, David Decatu. And he made a little Christmas movie that you watched that featured both of these gentlemen. And and how was that experience for you? Tremendous, yes. Uh, a Husband for Christmas from 2016, directed, you say, by... Is it David Decocteau? Decocteau? De, I have no idea. I, I think De- it's just De- Dakota. De- I think Dakota. it's just Dakota. De- and that's Dakota. the joke, is that it's spelled yeah. this fucking way. Entirely possible. All I know about yeah. the guy is that basically you, you give him, like, a, a, an open house for, like, three days, and you can get one or two movies out of him. And that's been the case for 40-odd years mm-hmm. now. And, you know, it's his. Listen, nobody has filmed more titties or men in their early 20s showering together as this guy. He's he covers the an incredible, yeah, an incredible body and, of work and cougars. He has a whole range of, I think, cougar attack movies. Mm-hmm. Cougars, of course, being milfs that prey on young fit men. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and fellas, if you're out there and you're saying, damn, me and the missus. We just can't seem to agree on a, uh, a director who we both love and can watch any of his films. This is the guy that could bring you together, okay? Because he has basically shifted his career at this point to focus specifically on Hallmark Christmas films and family affairs. And previously, he made uh, just mostly smut and violence. So bring it all I together. Mean, it really shows the and shared it, it DNA, like the shared DNA between mm-hmm. uh, just like softcore porn and lifetime movies. There's just an incredible foundation. Oh, it's the yeah. same. Fundamentally. I don't know what the turning point are, are... was though. I, I feel like 
I th- my guess is that that goddamn a talking cat got like enough internet attention that it was like profitable, and all of a sudden he could like sell himself to these TV networks. I mean, it could it could be? I mean, at the same time, like his his entire career is basically turning shit in under budget on time with no resources. So I mean, it's got to be somewhat attractive to like a studio like Lifetime that probably is probably has everything else all lined up. I mean, the director pretty much is just there to, like, oversee it and get it done. So, you know, he, he may just fed the, well, the, the reel of, like, look, you know, I can absolutely do that. I mean, probably Lifetime's the easiest movies the man's ever had to make. Yeah, and there's work. That's the other thing. If he was still trying to make, you know, uh, softcore erotica or horror-adjacent stuff there's no real market for that anymore. And not if you want to actually make money, but if you want to make, yeah, like a, a, whatever it is, a fucking husband for Christmas or whatever, or, you know, kissy time Christmas or, you know, gingerbread. I don't know. The point is they make a thousand of these every single year and they, they fucking pay you to do it. So he probably has better resources. He can make higher budget films. He gets a steady paycheck these are not things that are associated with the current like horror exploitation and softcore market. You don't get any yeah, of that. Yeah, no shit. easiest, so, easiest yeah, movie. And like his retirement plan, like like Lacey Chabert, who now has made a, a great career out of Lifetime movies, points out like Lifetime is it's fantastic because you it's pretty much like an office job. You drive to work every morning and mm-hmm. you come home every evening and you just chill out at home until the next day. Like, most actors will never get that kind of security. Most directors never will. So, you know, it's 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 great. Mm-hmm. But yeah, a, a Husband for Christmas, not a great movie, we'd have to admit. I know we're all amazed that one uh, didn't work out. Funnily, the, the, the unkindest thing in it is the lead actress is, of course, Vivica A. Fox, uh, who at this point is uh, mm-hmm. is too old for Hollywood, uh, I guess, nominally, because, you know, ah. and not, not established, because she's not Meryl Streep, the one actress who you know if it's like oh we need a woman she's over like 50 it's like okay so Meryl Streep and there's only her that's it pretty much um so so they have Vivica A. Fox and but the cruelest thing in this movie I think is that her sister is played by an actress who was 23 years her junior and looks at it, and that just seems like a oh, really wow. mean thing to do and I'm surprised she <laughs> I'm surprised uh, Dakota was allowed to get away with it but anyhow the movie itself is absolute bonkers nonsense also has Eric Roberts in it I, he probably wouldn't even remember that he's in it at this point uh, he shows up in like two scenes oh. and I think well, maybe- there's your talking cat connection I think Dakota made it connection there that he's hanging on to for dear life i mean connection eric roberts is in almost everything at this point you're six there's a good chance i was in a movie with him at this point uh he's an incredible career but um anyhow getting back to our silent deadly night connection yeah you blink and miss it uh early on in the movie uh the the company's having layoffs and it cuts to two guys packing up their desks uh, and complaining uh, only one of them has dialogue and I believe he may be ADR'd but the two men are indeed our two Silent Night Deadly Night killers just a, a little a little fun nod you can kind of almost make them out I mean we're nearly 30 years on at this point uh, so it's it's kind of like things have changed obviously 
Um, but kind of kind of a fun thing. Nothing else in the movie has any kind of a relation to horror or anything. It's it's an absolutely nonsensical movie about Eric Roberts being uh, Vivica Fox's uh, manager and basically blackmailing her into an illegal marriage, a sham marriage, to get a graphic designer from England uh, into the US so he can immediately work because everyone knows that's how it works. As soon as you marry someone. You can immediately work and you're immediately a citizen. And apparently there's no workplace visas they could apply for uh, either, which was people do no. all the time. doesn't make a lot of sense, but wouldn't you know they, yeah. they end what up... What do you know, Jack? Yeah, yeah, well... How would you know anything about that stuff? Indeed, yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> what would I know about that? Oh, God. Great times. Uh, it all worked out in the end. But what I will say is they, they end up, they get married, and, and for some reason, uh, the, the government take great interest, but they don't check anything like uh, history of flights or trips to see each other or anything like that. They don't do anything like that. They just, they show up in their house and they look, look at their decor and just kind of like oh so you know you know it looks like you know you've got some photos here of each other maybe you know but do you really love each other they seem very concerned that they might not love each other more than they're married that seems what the government focuses on but wouldn't you know through through the wonders of 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 made for tv cinema they end up they end up falling in love for real and it's beautiful and it takes about an hour and 28 minutes or so and uh, bim bam boom you're out it's it's fine so yeah, husband for Christmas. You can watch that on Amazon Prime or Tubi. Uh, should okay, you wish so to have some ad breaks to break up the monotony. So two notes. This is a significant because I don't know. Like Freeman, especially Freeman, completely disappeared after like 1992. Uh, he's not like a convention guy. He's obviously a source of much fascination within the horror community. Um, but he just was gone. Like he didn't have any public stature whatsoever. Like people online would attempt to, to hunt him down and, you know, interview him about silent night, deadly night too. And he was just a persona non grata until he just randomly cropped up in this fucking David Dakota, uh, Christmas movie, uh, which is, yeah, fascinating stuff. I'd say then he's been a little bit back on the scene, uh, a little more open to discussing such things, but yeah. it's, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I would say probably this came from just, you know, probably like an hour or so of work and, you know, probably sag minimum or whatever, you know, so yeah, probably, probably not a terrible way to spend your time and a little bit fun. Uh, the other actor did like a lot of soap stuff, I believe. He he was like an active actor for, for several years after Silent Night, Deadly Night, but it was mostly TV work. Uh, sure. He certainly has a uh, look for it. The other important note here is uh, I just want to give the people a little feel. For David Dakota, um, we are uh, stay tuned. I think we're gonna we're gonna do some Dakota action uh, next year. Uh, lock it in. But yeah, the same <laughs> yeah. year this came Sean, out. I think Sean really wants it. Hey, well, if you would uh, ever stop talking was, about was, the guy, Jesus. <laughs> uh, I know. All he ever says he was he was over at my house this weekend. He's like, when are we gonna get to see some young nubile boys? Uh, shower? Like, vampire Whoa, boys. This vampire boys. That God. Yeah, so anyhow, the mm -hmm. year this came out was 2016, and I'm, I'm going to just run through a few movies he's made since then, uh, just to give you some extent. And, and keep in mind, most of these movies do star Vivica A. Fox to at least some extent that they, that they can slap her on the cover of the thing to, to sell you on it. But uh, that must be someone he's, he's just brought into the fold, and they must pump out like five movies in a fucking week or something. I don't know what the hell's going on. But... 
Uh, let's start with 2016's The Wrong Roommate. Uh, we're going to then move on to 2016's The Wrong Child. Uh, 2017, mm. we have The Wrong Student. Uh, next, we have The Wrong Crush, also 2017. Uh, also 2017, The Wrong Man. Uh, 2018, we're on The Wrong Cruise. And then we meet The Wrong Friend and The Wrong Teacher. Uh, and into 2019... We now have the wrong stepmother and the wrong mommy, oh. uh, also the wrong tutor and the wrong cheerleader. Uh, into 2020, some pandemic stuff. We have a wrong house sitter. See, that's timely. You're at home a lot, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, the wrong yeah. wedding planner, the wrong stepfather, the wrong cheerleader coach. Uh, into 2021, mm. we have the wrong real estate agent. That's a common thing. You know, I think a lot of us have experienced <laughs> that. Uh, yeah. The wrong well, fiance, the wrong Mr. Right, mm. the wrong Prince Charming, Ooh. the wrong Valentine, the wrong cheer captain. All, all 2021, uh, most starring Vivica A. Fox. And then into 2022, uh, this year he's done, uh, he's really paired back only to the wrong blind date and the wrong high school sweetheart, David Dakota, wow. ladies and gentlemen. Well, and this, <laughs> it sort of parallels, uh, Eric Roberts career too, because recently Eric Roberts has been doing a lot of these, like, uh, like creepy, murdery, horny doctor movies, uh, called like, it's like stalked by my doctor, I think is the, is the, is the series. Yeah. Yeah. Lifetime. They, they enjoy like serializing, but that, that is a lot of the wrong thing. That, that doesn't, that seems like he just went rogue. <laughs> it's a lot wrong. I'm pretty sure he just, yeah. I mean, what, what could be the difference between say the, the wrong Valentine and the wrong fiance and the wrong first. I'm date sure they found I, a way. Yeah. You like most of them are like, you know, the crossword murders and there's like three of them or the flower pot mysteries. And there's four of them. They're like, there's not 20 mm. of them. That's, that's absolutely ridiculous. He's built a juggernaut. I bet he has a room in his house with just uh, a poster for each of these. That's, Wallpaper. <laughs> Hell, if 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 um, making those uh, boys a house big enough to put up posters for all those goddamn movies, then hell, I'd do it too. I thought that he, the, wow. I thought that the thirteen thirteen quote unquote series, which is just if you see one of these uh, at Blockbuster back in the day or something, it's just a, a cover with four shirtless hunks standing in a row. The, and they take a shower. Yeah, there's, you know they're going to shower. There must be like uh, 12 or 13 of those, but I think he's now surpassed it with this, <laughs> this whole wrong gimmick. <laughs> mm -hmm. And he teaches us a lot. You know, if you're a hunk and you're willing to take a shower on camera, there's a career for you. <laughs> Okay. I feel like that's that's you're been out to Hollywood the case for a big while. Dreams in a six pack. <laughs> that's yeah. not new, Steve. That's take a shower, hunk boy. <laughs> it's a life lesson. Yeah, I'm sure it's a real fucking career. The only way it's a I career being in a David Dakota movie. <laughs> it's like just it's like sub pornography. <laughs> I mean, you you probably make fifty bucks. Yeah. That's something. <laughs> oh God. Well. We should probably wrap this up. So, uh, Myros, what are you putting over this week? My God, I, I have literally watched absolutely fucking nothing. Um, I I couldn't begin to fucking tell you. I'm a I'm a alpha gamer now, Steve. <laughs> I can't uh, <laughs> I can't be watching movies and recommending them. I'm got a new reputation to uphold. What I will say is, I was looking through uh, the director of Silent Night Deadly Night, Charles E. Selye. Uh, 
and I, I almost want to put over a thing that I have, in fact, not seen because it looks so goddamn incredible, which is the movie he followed this up with called The Annihilators, which seems to be a, a Death Wish 3 oh. style thing. Uh, <laughs> but the cover is fucking absurd. It, it just looks like roided out G.I. Joe madmen in masks just firing guns in an you know, urban hellscape. I, I must see this movie and you must as well. I, I was hoping it was a, some kind of a. It's on Blu-ray. I think Kino put it out, actually. I was hoping the Annihilators <laughs> would be joking. like a follow-up to Edward Yang's Terrorizers. Mm. You never know. I mean, I, I, it could be. And who better to do it, really? <laughs> I'd trust um, him. I, I, I like Myros being a hardcore gamer who puts over a movie he hasn't seen. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's great. Who knows? Uh, no, I can tell you. Great, I'm looking at the cover, cover, Steve. It's fucking great. There's no question. <laughs> no question. All right. Well, next Kino sale, I'll pick it up for eight bucks or whatever. And uh, I think we'll, they're having we'll a sale now. Maybe one. maybe we can make this the next episode. Who well, knows? Shit. They're always that's... having a sale. You just can't find anything on their site. That's that's how they get you. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's impossible that's how they, to navigate. That's how they get you to not buy things you want because you can't fucking find them. Mm. Yeah, this sounds a lot like it's in the Death Wish canon. Uh, upon his return from Vietnam, an ex-soldier finds his neighborhood has deteriorated badly and is being terrorized by a vicious street gang. He calls some of his GI buddies, and together they hatch a plan to get rid of the does, gang. Does yeah. deteriorated right. badly involve people with a different skin color being present? Yeah, that's what oh, I think. Question. I'm just gonna take a <laughs> wild stab. Probably. <laughs> yeah. They they were oh no the paper boy is gone and I saw a brown person <laughs> time to get my gun that's a lot of these movies start that way but uh yeah I have to check it out Jack what are you putting over this week I uh, you know I'm gonna put over a movie I have seen um so I can tell you it's 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 pretty good uh, called On the Run which is a Hong Kong movie from 1988 starring Yun Biao the great martial artist although he does almost no martial arts in this movie this this movie is weird um it is like a corrosively grim neo-noir about a cop who gets mixed up basically his what his ex-wife or the wife who's currently divorcing him is murdered uh, assassinated because she's investing a case and it turns out it's 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 like dirty cops who are behind it and the dirty cops want to finish him and his kid off and he teams up with the assassin who murdered his wife uh, to try and, and clear his name. And it is a film where Yun Bao gets shot twice in, in just the course of events and has to get like surgery done where they yank bullets out of him. Everyone else in the film pretty much is exclusively shot in the face in close up. Uh, it is just an absolutely vicious, nasty film that's very weird. It's got this kind of weird aspirational element. Uh, people want to like move on with their lives and do better things and look after their kids. Uh, none of that goes well, I can tell you that much. Um, it, it's it's also in the shadow of the 1997 handover to Hong Kong. It's a very weird film. It's stripped back to almost nothing. There's almost no connective tissue between scenes. It's like it's a very vibe-centric neo-noir, which is kind of unusual. Uh, but like I say, just... Uh, really really stunningly grim 
and kind of effective on that note and starring Yoon Bao giving probably more of an acting performance than he usually has to because usually he's more like, you know, I need to do a double flip and kick a man in the face. But this time he's got to like mourn his loved ones who all die horribly. So on the run, it's uh, mm. it's it's a lot of fun. Watch it with your family over Christmas. Yeah, double feature with the Annihilator. Well, I... I've I've been dipping my toes into the world of like uh, PSAs and training videos and things like that because <clears throat> I don't know my my brain is broken I enjoy these things and I recently watched what many consider to be like the Citizen Kane of of dumb training videos I, I think it's been featured on uh, Best of the Worst Red Letter Media and uh, I think you going Surviving Edge weapons terrible. <laughs> Surviving Edge Weapons. I just watched Surviving Edge Weapons for the first time last night. And, uh, wow. It, it, you know, a lot of times you go into something that's all hyped up and you, and you say to yourself, it can't be that great. It's that great. I, I, I cannot emphasize enough how special this is. It's a hundred percent serious, which is crazy. Um, it actually doesn't teach you anything which is equally amazing because it's 85 minutes long. To be fair, that's, that's uh, probably is, pretty accurate because if someone attacks you with an edge weapon, you're just really in a lot of trouble. Honestly, that's kind of the end of that. That's that's what yeah. they tell you. They're pretty much like, hey, watch out because you're fucked. Like that's that's the whole thing because it goes between these absurd scenarios that they concoct. They're like, what if you pull someone over and she goes to reach for her license and registration, but instead takes out a hair clip and stabs you in the fucking neck. And then there's all this stuff where it's like you're on the street and you're attacked by an actual samurai. Just all this fucking crazy shit. Is your, shit. Neighbor deteri and your neighborhood that... deteriorating badly? <laughs> yeah, you gotta call up your Vietnam vet boys to, you know, come take care of business. That's that's what it is. It, it basically, it, it posits, what if the Death Wish worldview was just everywhere? So it's that, it's like weird copaganda shit. And then it, it splices that up with testimonials from police officers talking about when they got fucked up by an edge weapon. And then they show like actual stab wounds on people. So it's this like jarring, you know, faces of death shit. You're like, what the fuck? And then it goes right back into ridiculous scenarios that were concocted by whoever wrote this and have no basis in the real world. Absolutely amazing. You can watch it for free on YouTube. It's fucking incredible. hundred percent. The best thing you will watch this year or any year it, it, truly a marvel so surviving edge weapons go go watch that you're gonna enjoy yourself oh and I, i'm pretty sure it was shot in wisconsin because everyone has a horrible accent and it is worth noting that the opening scene is this like lengthy pastoral nature shit with opening credits and then a caveman shows up and stabs another caveman in the dick so <laughs> keep that in mind. I wow. believe it is Wisconsin. Powerful I think that stuff. the company that makes it, uh, they have several uh, of these industrial videos. Uh, some of them are also supposed to be quite exceptional. But uh, yeah, it, I believe it is based out of Wisconsin. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, so yeah, check that one out. And uh, if you enjoyed the podcast today, there's a link in the description that'll take you to our Patreon page. And wouldn't it be great if you could give us money? This is the season of giving, right? You know, you open up that wallet, you, you, some idiots ringing a bell outside the grocery store. You're going to give that guy money. What does he offer you? Very little, I'd imagine. But if you donate to our Patreon, 
uh, for the low price of whatever the fuck you decide to give us, I'm going to send you a movie from my personal collection. It could be a DVD, a Blu-ray, a VHS tape, a 35-millimeter reel. You have no idea what could arrive at your doorstep this holiday season. So uh, give us any amount of money, and the dream could come true. If you give us a little bit more money, say, I don't know, five bucks, uh, then you get more benefits. In addition to all of the cool Patreon content, uh, written stuff, special podcasts, all kinds of things, you would also get the ability to vote on upcoming content, and you get your name read out on the air of the very show you are listening to. You get to be a special boy or girl with a special shout out. And Myros, who are our special boys and girls this week? Uh, yeah, we have Koufax, Kropotkin, CWW, Evan, Ryan, Dustin, and Paula. Wonderful. Also, shout out to Paula, who sent me a lovely birthday gift. I had fucking COVID on my birthday. It was miserable. But Paula sent me a cameo from fucking Tay Zande, Chocolate Rain himself, and it it honestly it it lifted me out of my COVID haze. It was uh, one of, if not the greatest gift I have ever received in my life. So, uh, who's to say Optimism Vaccine does not have the greatest fans in the world? Wonderful human being. Thank you, Paula. And you know what? If you want to go to the highest level, if you want to get to that fucking Paula tier of just greatest of all time, Optimism Vaccine fanatic, you can do that because if you give us what is it twenty bucks? Is it twenty bucks or twenty five bucks, Myros? I don't even know. Uh, 25. You don't either. 25. $25. You get to choose an episode yourself. You could say, you know what? I want you to watch fucking Puss in Boots right now. I want you guys to do a whole fucking Puss in Boots episode, and we will do it. Me and Myros, we will go to the theater. I will buy him popcorn. I will get him a cherry icy, and we will sit down and watch Puss what? in Boots. Isn't together. that movie it's like that fucking 15 years old? No, there's a new fucking Puss in Boots. It comes out like next week. What the? How do you not fucking know? Adam's tanking Boots is coming? our cultural cash again. Like we're supposed to be up on God. this stuff, Adam. You fucking piece of shit, idiot! How dare you? Uh, Too busy gaming. Puss in Boots. I, I, uh, I guess yeah. I've been. Just gaming too much. I've, I've lost track of Puss yeah, and this, Boots this releases. Happens. Adam, do you not even Fuck. realize that Antonio Banderas has doing... teased that Shrek might be coming back? Oh, for God's sakes. <laughs> of course Shrek is coming back. This is the hell we live in. Yeah, for some of us, he never went away. So, uh, yeah, give us money, and if you can't, that's okay, too. But if you have any questions, comments, death threats, or marriage proposals, or maybe some happy holidays to send our way, you can send those to optimismvaccine at gmail.com, or you can tweet at us, at optimismvaccine, and we would love to hear from you for as long as Twitter remains a viable social media website. Uh, I think that's just about everything. So, uh, gentlemen, Merry Christmas to all, and uh, we'll be back with more Silent Night, Deadly Night next week. 